Pastor Xavier Reese, pointing out a sure path to victory. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin that which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Do you want to win the race? Do you still allow your bitterness to taint your life? Do you still make provisions for your flesh to fulfill the lust thereof? Lay aside what it is that stumbles you, what it is that feeds you, what it is that keeps you from Christ. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. One of the most difficult things for new parents to go through is dealing with a premature birth with complications. Often, there are years of medical care and slow development for the child. Well, according to Pastor Xavier, one of the most difficult things for the church to experience is premature Christians. And that's the simple truth he draws out from today's message from the book of Hebrews, titled, The Direction to Heaven is Forward. Let's listen. One day a teacher was asked how many years she had been teaching. Her response was 20 years. Interviewing her students through the years, they said, well, she's taught the same thing 20 times. And this is usually the condition of many people, sadly, in the church who never grew up in the Lord, and they're just in an infant state, an arrested state, having a degenerate spiritual development, never growing. And we know as parents, we want our children to grow, and we expect things of them, and when they, that doesn't happen, uh, it's heartbreaking. How much more in the Lord? Such as the um, spiritual condition of these Hebrew Christians one of degeneracy, as we've seen in the last portion of chapter 5. So Paul couldn't enter in the discussion of Melchizedek's priesthood, so he rebuked them for being infants. In verse 11 of 5, they became sluggish, their spiritual perception. They just, not that it was difficult of material, not that they didn't have the ability, but they just, they became sluggish. They should have been teachers at that time, teaching others, but now they needed to be taught the basic things of Christ again and fed with milk and because they were really inexperienced in the Word, as he says in verse 12 and 13. And they were far from being mature Christians, despite of their years in Christ, unable to judge right from wrong in verse 14. And this, too often, I believe, is a sad condition of many Christians. And I can attest to you as a pastor since 73, that it's sad because people don't grow. Now, having declared Jesus as their high priest as well as ours, superior to the Aaronic priesthood and the fulfillment of that order being in Melchizedek's priesthood, the author Paul now tells these Hebrew Christians three things regarding their spiritual condition, and we find them here. Let me read 1 through 12. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundations of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the power of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again to themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. For the earth, which drinks in the rain and often comes upon it, and bears herbs and useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessings from God. 
But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those through faith and patience inherit the promises. The three truths regarding their spiritual condition is as follows. First, he exhorts them to spiritual maturity, verse 1 through 3. Secondly, he warns them against spiritual apostasy, verse 4 through 8. And then thirdly, he admonishes them to spiritual assurance in verse 9 through 12. He begins by exhorting them to spiritual maturity. How needful is this? Notice first, verse 1, the rule of Christians is to press forward spiritually. Never forget that. The author uses the word therefore in preparation of the concluding counsel regarding their arrested spiritual state. Some of them had been walking for almost 30 years if the epistle had written in 64 AD. 30 years, that's a long time. These guys hadn't learned anything. They were to pay close attention now and to move away from the sluggish condition for it would be for their remedy regarding the degenerate states. Like going to the doctor and the doctor diagnoses you and says, this is what's wrong with you, do this and you get rid of it. So listen well, this is your prescription. If you follow it, you get well. And so then the author tells them that they needed to stop doing one thing. So the negative comes first. Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. These elementary principles of Christ are synonymous with the principles of the oracles of God that he mentioned in chapter 5, verse 12. Okay? They're synonymous. These guys were Jews. They had the Old Testament only. Okay? They're synonymous. Now, those truths about Christ that they had received as new converts were the root of entry principles, the ABCs, as we saw in the end of chapter 5. They had heard the gospel from those who had received it from the Lord in chapter 2, verse 3, he told us. They knew that uh, they had agreed that Jesus was the Messiah. They knew that they had trusted Jesus to purge them from their sins, as chapter 1, verse 3 says, and they sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. They knew that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. And they knew that Yahweh's final revelation was through the Son, according to Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. These are foundational. These are basic. They knew this. But notice the author tells them they needed to start doing something else in its place. So the negative, now the positive. And that's always the case in Christian things. James says, resist the devil and draw nigh to God, and he will flee. You can't just resist. You got to draw nigh to God. You can't just draw nigh to God. You got to resist the devil. The two, negative, positive. Here's the positive. Let us go on to perfection. The word perfection means mature and adult. This is the context. They're little babies. The varied form of the word is used in chapter 5, verse 14, therefore, being immature, just children. Literally, let us be carried to an adult state as mature believers in the teachings about Christ. And perfection, by the way, never means sinlessness, okay? We're not talking about sinlessness, okay? No one is sinless. No one is perfect. And so the proclamation is implying the action of an outside agent. Who could that be? The Holy Spirit. You cannot... Perfect yourself. You cannot move forward without the work of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it in your own energies. You cannot do it through your own intellect. It's got to be the power, the Spirit of God with the Word of God 
transforming you into the image of Jesus Christ from day to day, from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. Notice, secondly, the ruin of the Christian is to remain standing still spiritually. So if you're not going forward, you're standing still. If you're standing still, you're going backwards. So here's the negative. Not laying again the foundation. Repentance from dead works. These are the ABCs. They come in pairs. There's three of them, six total. This describes the change of mind to be able to earn salvation by the law or by anything you can do. The whole concept of the New Testament, Acts, Romans, Galatians, all of that, only faith. You can't earn it. Faith in God's revelation, the gospel in this case, is the only righteousness that God accepts. And Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 17 is sure. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation, the Jew first, then the Gentile. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Nothing else. There's nothing else that God has provided. And so therefore, when he gets down to chapter 10, verse 22, he says, Let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from the evil conscience of our bodies and washed with pure water. So let, let's leave those things behind and let's trust Christ. Christ alone. Secondly, he says, not laying again the foundation of the doctrine of baptisms. Now, some commentators here take this to be Jewish in nature, the Old Testament, referring to the washings. But remember that this is speaking about the principles of Christ. And though they are familiar with the Old Testament washings, they are Jews who have accepted Christ. So I think that they're talking, the context is Christ, the rudiments of Christ. Okay, not the Jewish one. He is trying to draw them away from the Jewish thing. Yes, they were familiar with it. They came out of that, but he's, he's focusing on Christ. So the doctrine of baptism, notice it's plural. And that's why many say they're talking about the different washings of the Old Testament ritual. But we don't have to, we don't have to go that way. The different baptisms that went on during the life of Jesus was John the Baptist was giving the baptism unto repentance. And then Jesus was giving a baptism under his own name and his disciples baptized. He never baptized anybody. John 4, 2 says that. And John baptized in Luke 7, 29 through 30 and many other passages, okay? So there were two baptisms going on, that of John and that of Jesus. The ritual of baptism is a public confession of what's happening in your heart. If you're born again and you get baptized, then it's a confirmation that you're born again, a public confession. It doesn't make you born again. If you're not born again and you get dunked in water, you're just a wet sinner. That's it. Doesn't take away any sin. Next, the doctrine of laying of hands. Now, this was familiar to the Old Testament, the priests and the sin offering and all that, and laying of hands for anointing, commission, and all that, but also the New Testament. We see it in the book of Acts. We see it in Timothy. We see it in Titus. We see it in different places. Uh, the book of Acts, they laid hands on Paul and Barnabas, sent them out in the first missionary journey. This is very familiar. Next, he says, not the laying again of the foundation of the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. The righteous and the wicked were to be raised. This was common knowledge in the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, they weren't made distinct. Job 19.25, Isaiah 26.19, Daniel 12.2, they all said the resurrection would come. But no distinction was made between the righteous and the wicked, how that would be. It's not till the New Testament that we get the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. And then he says, and of eternal judgment. Eternal judgment is clear throughout the scriptures, Old Testament as well as New Testament. That God will judge all men. Jesus will be the judge of all men. There is the judgment of believers, the bema seat of Christ, which we will go before God, and he will reward us for what we've done. Not how much we've done, but why we've done it. It has to be under the motive of agape love. Uh, Romans 14, 10, 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, and also 2 Corinthians 5, 10, the bema seat of Christ. There's also the white throne judgment, as you know, in Revelation 20, verse 1 through 6. And all those who have rejected Christ 
will be brought up, judged for their sins, and cast into the lake of fire. That is not an opportunity for a second chance of salvation. And by the way, there's a thousand years between the two. We get judged with Christ as we get up in the rapture. The white throne judgment is the, at the end of the thousand years. Okay? So there's a distinction. So he says, let's move on. Don't stay there. Now notice, when he gets to verse 3, the reminder is to obey spiritually. And this we will do if God permit. The author reminds them of their human responsibility. Listen to these words. This we will do. Again, he includes himself as from the beginning. He was telling them that this is exactly what they were going to do. Leave the rudimentary principles of Christ, not of the Jews, of Christ. They had learned in the beginning and go on to maturity. Now, Notice the author reminds them of their need of divine enabling. This is the other side. If God permit. The expression does not mean that God may not be willing or will not permit. That's not what it's saying. The expression is in the affirmation. God will permit if you're willing. God cannot work and will not work against your will. There's a co-participation, right? Did God force any of you to come to church? Was he pounding on your door? Nope. He lets you decide every Sunday. The author is reminding them of what he desires them to press onto as adults. Let's not lose the context of this whole section. The high priesthood of Christ after the order of Melchizedek, back to chapter 5, verse 11. Move on, maturity, recognizing Christ as your high priest. Alexander the Great, being asked how he had conquered the world, replied this, by not delaying. Procrastination is the enemy of progress in the future. Too many Christians are procrastinators. Paul says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to the things that are ahead, I press the goal to the price of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let as many as are mature, there's the key, have this mind. And if anything else you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. Philippians 3, 13 and 15. Two things. Forgetting those things behind, pressing forward. Negative, positive. Where are you at? Are the same things stumbling you that stumbled you when you were first born again? Do you still allow anger to rule you? And you say, well, I'm Latin. Well, that's a personal problem, but it's just flesh. Okay? It has nothing to do with it. You got to reckon the old man dead. Do you still allow your bitterness to taint your life? You say, well, you don't understand what they did to me. Oh, well, can I remind you what you did to Christ? Do you still make provisions for your flesh to fulfill the lust thereof? Do you want to win the race? Are you doing your best to win the race? Listen to him at the end of the book, 12.1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all the men of faith, let us lay aside every weight in the sin that which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Are you casting off these things that stumble you, these things that weigh you down? Do you want to win the race? Or you say, well, you're not just cruising, you know? No. You want to wear the lightest shorts, the lightest shoes, clothes that clings to you, not that it's going to catch wind? Lay aside what it is that stumbles you, what it is that feeds you, what it is that, that, that keeps you from Christ. These Hebrews were exhorted to move forward, 
to spiritual maturity. Notice secondly, he warns them against spiritual apostasy. Verse 4 through 8. This scripture is probably has caused more controversy and more anxiety in the life of Christians than any other one except for the one we'll find in Hebrews 10, 26 to 29. It has frightened people. Let's look at the text. He will take them on to perfection because he does not believe them to be in a fallen away condition. For if they were, it would be impossible for him to try and renew them again unto repentance. He wouldn't be talking to them, right? The word impossible appears 10 times in the New Testament. And it means without strength, powerless, inability, or unable. Every place this word appears in Hebrews, it means impossible. Okay? So we cannot differ from it. They all mean the same. Now look at secondly, verse 4 and 5. They had been once enlightened, illuminated, referring to Jesus Christ as Messiah. The word enlightened... Phototizo means to give light or illumination. Their minds, their hearts regarding Jesus. We get our word photograph, photosynthesis, stuff like that. The same word is used later. Listen to Hebrews 10, 32. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle and sufferings. Remember, they had been under persecution. Okay? But secondly, they had once tasted of the heavenly gift. The gift can be nothing but salvation. Romans 5, 16 through 17, the free gift of salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you're saved by grace through faith. That not of yourself, it's a gift of God. He's talking about salvation here. Throughout the epistle, there are called brothers. They're addressed as believers. Some say these Hebrews were only those who had tasted. They only tasted the gospel. They really weren't born again. Well, I got a problem with that. You know why? Because in chapter 2, verse 9, the same word is used for Jesus. He tasted death for every man. Are we going to say that Jesus just tasted death? He really didn't? Partake of it? Be careful. It's got to be the same or nothing. They had become partakers of the Holy Spirit, being illuminated as to who Jesus was. They were convicted of their sin. And as 1 John 6 through 11 says, the Holy Spirit convicted them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And they repented of their sins. By the way, the word partakers there means partner, participant. They were participants of the Holy Spirit. Unless you're born again, you can't be participant of the Holy Spirit. And then it says they had tasted the good word of God and the power of the age to come. And the word for word, there is rima, the spoken word, which means the gospel. They had heard it from those who had heard it from Christ. And the power describes the inherent power of the age to come, dunamis. The power of the spirit reigning supremely here on earth in the life of the Christian as it will in the millennial kingdom. The age to come is the millennial kingdom. Where God's will is being done in my life as it is in heaven. They had partaken of all of this. Now, in view of this awesome privilege, now we can understand the horrible warning. To those that much is given, much is required. Now, notice 30 in verse 6. The reality of the condition is stated. The Greek says, having fallen away. There's no if in there. Having fallen away. It's a fact. The word fallen away is made up of two words. The first is par alongside. The second one is peptin, which means to fall. The word means to fall beside a person or a thing, to deviate from the right path. In fact, this is the Septuagint translation, right? The Greek translation of the Old Testament, right? This is the text that they're using. 
the word does not refer to backsliding. He's not talking about that. The word is not the common word for apostasy, which is apostasia, but a willful, deliberate departure from the faith, crucifying up again Christ and declaring he is deserving of the cross, being an imposter to open shame. That's pretty heavy, pretty radical. It's a willful, deliberate departing. The reality of, the, of this spiritual condition has a bleak hope. The impossibility is to renew them again to repentance. Now, the Calvinist perspective is that these Hebrew Christians were not born again. They merely tasted short of salvation. We've already proven you cannot have that way. The problem with this understanding is that one has to explain the experiential description of verse 4 and 5 that are solely described and ascribed to Christians. If they're not born again, then how do you, how do you explain this? Now, some Calvinists will also say that these are born-again Christians, but the warning is against a fruitless life and losing reward. The context betrays that interpretation. Reward is not the issue, but repentance. Now, the Armenians, on the other perspective, on the other extreme, also have a problem in that it says it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. So there's a problem there. Don't let people force you to extremes. Predestination and free will are biblical. Stand in the middle and abide in Christ Jesus. There's a cooperation of he and we that we do not understand. Yet we're not saving ourselves as we will see clearly. We trust in him for that. Now, if we take what is said in the context and the cultural background of the audience, they're Hebrew Christians, then these were Hebrews who were going back to the animal sacrifice, right? In the temple, the Jewish rituals. If they returned and depended on those sacrifices for the basis of their repentance, it would be impossible to renew them to repentance again under the Jewish law. So if they left and offered a sacrifice thinking that they were right with God, God wouldn't honor their repentance. Why? Because there is no allowance or value under the Jewish system any longer. He's talking to Hebrew Christians. They want to go back. Now, if they had crossed that line that God alone knows, then it would be impossible even if they returned to Jesus. So there are some people who may go back to a system and then they're lost. No matter what they attempt, they can't find repentance. But God alone knows that. Let's not be belligerent and, and think that we can presume upon who that is. So how dare we say these were not born again? You can't say that. The impossibility of God to renew them if they repented and came back would not exist with God, but with man. But if they did reach that mark, they would not be concerned with repentance. It's real clear. If you think you've committed this sin, you haven't because you're worried about it. Now, put that energy to work. Cultivate, grow in Christ Jesus. Pastor Xavier Reese and a reason to press forward. And you can hear this message again if you like online anytime 
by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. Now be sure you join in next time for more from today's message titled, The Direction to Heaven is Forward. And you can always pick up a copy on CD for only $4. Now be sure you pass on these encouraging studies to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now once again, the title to ask for is, The Direction to Heaven is Forward. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, it's important that you include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This way we can check on the impact of this outreach in your area. What is the best source of hope? You won't want to miss the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese for the answer. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com